0: We're studying the words and works of Jesus Christ because we want to know who he is and what he said so that we can understand that now it's our turn to live out what he taught. It's our privilege and honor to reenact the life of Christ for the people that we are around in our school, at our job, in our home. We are a continuation of the Bible. We are the next step. Peter, James, John, they all had their turn, and now it's your turn. That's what we've been diving into. A lot of churches will talk, and and, and you'll hear a lot of times that we should be like Jesus, and we want to know what that means. We want to know what that looks like. And through this Jesus series, we're taking information from each of the books of the Gospels. Now, the Gospels is a a Bible word, a Christian word uh, that uh, we use for those four books uh, at the beginning of the New Testament. But there are four accounts of real people that were close to Jesus of the life of Jesus. And there are all types of different people. There's Matthew, the tax collector, John Mark, who was a young man, Luke, who was a doctor, and John, who was a fisherman. And that's where you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of those writers had a unique perspective, and each letter has parts that they emphasize about the life of Christ. And each God-inspired author points to the life of Christ, uh, that they, the parts of the life of Christ that they uh, thought were unique and thought were amazing. So you're going to see differences in each one of these books of the things that they rise to the surface, things that stuck out about Jesus to them. Now, these books are just highlights. They do not contain every action and every word of Christ or the 12,000 or so days that he lived on this earth. During the Christmas season, we focused on the 12-year-old Jesus, that very small glimpse of we have of a, a young Jesus, a teenage, uh, preteen Jesus. And when he went to the temple uh, with the doctors and the lawyers uh, answering questions and uh, growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So today we're going to jump in with the baptism of Christ. If you could see through this projector, there's a beautiful stained glass window up there in our baptismal that has this depiction, the baptism of Christ. Did you realize that Jesus got baptized? This particular facet of Jesus's life is captured in the book of uh, all the books of Matthew, Mark and Luke. So let's check out in Matthew chapter three, what uh, Matthew has to say about The Baptism of Christ. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13 is where we'll start this morning. It says this, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, the Jordan River, to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answers and said, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consents, it says. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well uh, pleased. This chapter in the book of Matthew starts off, uh, verses 1 through 13, starts off with the ministry of John the Baptist about six months before the ministry of Christ began. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, although it's unlikely that they spent very much time together because uh, John was from the wilderness of Judea and Jesus was from Galilee. They probably saw each other once a year or so when they traveled to celebrate the Passover. Now, John was six months uh, older than Jesus, and when Jesus' mother went to visit John's mother, uh, when they both were pregnant, John the Baptist leapt in the womb. He jumped for joy at closeness to Jesus. And that tells us that a baby still in the womb was the first to recognize the Messiah. Now, John the Baptist was a great and a charismatic speaker, but he had one main message, and this was it, repent For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John had a great ministry, but John's baptism was a little bit different than the baptism that we take part in today, after salvation. Why? Because this started six months before the ministry of Jesus even started. Many scholars believe that John's baptism had roots in Old Testament temple ceremonies of purification. And this baptism was also something the Jews had administered to the Gentiles that had been, uh, that had wanted to come into the Jewish faith. Or in other words, become part of the people of God. So when a Gentile wanted to become part of the Jewish faith, they would baptize them, and that would be part of the ceremony of them coming in. So basically, John the Baptist's baptism, he was baptizing Jews, and they were admitting that they had been living as Gentiles, far away from God. And it was a symbol of their repentance. They were repenting in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. But baptism has never been part of salvation. It's only an outward symbol of an inward change. And after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we see the full picture and symbolism of what baptism was and is pointing to. You see, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. See, the Bible says that there was no greater man than John the Baptist. That's high praise, right? He preached mightily. And people repented of their sin and they were baptized. In fact, John was so effective that people thought that he might be the Messiah. Now, John speaking in Matthew chapter 3, and verse 11. John speaking to his followers and says this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, John's whole ministry was pointing and preparing people for the coming Christ. And John says, my baptism isn't complete, but when Jesus comes, you will get a full picture of the gospel. Now, Jesus comes to town and gets baptized. He wants to get baptized too. But John says, look, I'm not worthy to baptize the Messiah. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus wanted to put his stamp of approval on John's message, and Jesus was determined to be an example for us. See, Jesus had no sin. He didn't have to get saved. He didn't have to get baptized. But he didn't just want to tell us what to do. He wanted to show us what to do. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And imagine how humbling that must have been, how how much Jesus would have had to humble himself to allow John the Baptist to baptize him. God the Son allowed an imperfect human to baptize him. But something different happens this time. The Bible says the Holy Ghost descends on Jesus like a dove, and a voice booms out of heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And again we see Jesus about his Father's business, doing God's will. See, Jesus was baptized as an example for us. And now we follow that example and we follow Jesus in baptism after salvation to show the world that we are followers of Christ. And this is why here at CBC we have uh, salvation and baptism as part of our church membership. But see, this passage, like everything else in God's word, points towards the beauty of the gospel. See, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. Now, notice it doesn't say specifically that it was a dove. Sometimes the Bible tells us things look like things to give us a visual, to give us a picture like a dove, because sometimes it would be very hard to describe a phenomenal act of spiritual movement to people thousands of years later. Was it a literal dove? I don't know. Maybe it was. But I do know this. It wasn't an accident that it was described that way because the dove has a symbolic significance in the Bible. Matthew Henry says that doves or pigeons were the only bird that was offered in sacrifice in the temple. And much like those doves, Christ offered himself without spot as a sacrifice to God to cover our sins. It's also really exciting and and awesome for me to know that a dove was a sacrifice for a person that couldn't afford a lamb. It was for those that were poor. It was for those that uh, didn't have means like everybody else. The message of Noah's flood was also brought uh, to uh, Noah by a dove. The message that that flood was over and that dove had an olive branch in his mouth. In the same way, There were the glad tidings of peace with God brought by a spirit as a dove. So we see here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the symbolism that Jesus would sacrifice for even the poorest of sinners and that he came to bring peace and to reconcile us to God. That's an amazing thing. This event was also a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah uh, chapter 42, verse 1. Where he says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. See, God was putting his stamp of approval on Jesus's ministry. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's also really cool that we get to see all three parts of the Trinity in this passage. We see Jesus, we see the Holy Spirit descending like the dove, and we see the Father speaking from heaven. And we need to know that God is three in one. He's not one person with three different costumes or personalities. Each person of the Godhead is distinct and individual while also being one God. The Father being pleased with the Son is not God just talking to himself. He is talking to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is resting on Jesus. So how can we apply these works of Jesus to our lives? Well, most obviously and practically is the question, have you been baptized? The Bible is clear. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the next step following that is following Jesus' example and publicly identifying yourself with Christ through baptism. Have you done this? If not, why not? So most of the examples that we have in the Bible of people being Uh, saved and becoming believers is them being baptized almost immediately after they put their faith in Jesus. We see this prominently in the account of the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 30, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 35. And I like this first character. It says, then Philip opened his mouth. Amen. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch both, and he baptized him. We see here there was no time of proving. There was no time to make sure that it was, you know, you got to do all these steps before we'll baptize you. It happened immediately after he heard the good news. If you're saved, the next step is baptism. What is hindering you from getting baptized? If that's you today and it's just something you put off, which is something I went through along my teenage years, after I had accepted Christ, it was 10 years before I got baptized. What's stopping you today? You can talk to me after the service. You can write that on your connection card. We can get that settled once and for all. But see, obviously, salvation comes first. And if you haven't done that, we can get that settled today as well. We can get that nailed down once and for all, that you have a relationship with God and that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. But see, here's the next part. Here's the important part for many of us that have already been saved, already been baptized, is that baptism isn't the only way to identify with Christ. Are you one of those Christians today that you compartmentalize your life, where you're a Christian here, but maybe in the workplace, that's not the case. Maybe in your home life, that's not the case, where you don't act it out. Maybe you have a secular group of friends and a Christian group of friends, and you're a totally different person with that secular group. Would there be some people in your life that do not know that you are a Christian, Some of us need to publicly identify ourselves with Christ, not just in the church, but at work and at school and at home. See, some of us have bought into the lie that you need to be quiet about your faith because you're not perfect. That's a lie, and that's not from God. You don't have to be perfect to speak up for God. You just have to be humble. You have to admit that, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but I love Jesus. Jesus loves me, and this is what he has done for me. Why? Because the gospel is the story of how God loves and uses broken people. And each and every one of us could use that excuse. Well, I don't have it all together yet. I don't have everything just the way it's supposed to be, so I'm just going to be quiet about Jesus until I get it all together. Well, you're going to have to wait until you get to heaven for that to happen. You're never going to be able to tell anybody. Pastor Phil, I would, could not stand here today if I believed that lie, that until I have it all together, I can't talk about Jesus. The gospel is the story how God loves and uses broken people. In fact, so much that Paul praised the fact that he had weakness because it was an opportunity for God to show off his immense power. And maybe that lie that you've believed is really just an excuse to continue to keep your spiritual life and your secular life separate. When was the last time you had a friend tell you that they were struggling and instead of just hugging them and saying, I hope it gets better, you prayed with them. Said, I know someone that can handle that. I know someone that you can take this to. Someone once said that God does not compartmentalize our life. From God's perspective, there are no spiritual versus non-spiritual components in our life. He makes no distinction. See, some of us have been baptized and we're like, all right, great. I've saved. I'm baptized. I've checked it all off. I'm good to go. But if you're honest, you're not identifying with Christ in some areas of your life. Let me say that different. Is Christ where you place your identity? We see John the Baptist pointed the way to Christ. Are we doing that? John prepared the way for Christ to move in some people's life. Are you preparing the way for Christ to walk into the lives of those in your sphere of influence? Are you prayerfully opening up spiritual conversations with lost people around you so that the Spirit of God can walk through those doors? Maybe you need to stop just praying for someone to talk to your lost friends and decide that you're going to be that someone. In this passage, we see Christ doing the will of the Father, symbolizing the sacrifice that he would go through, bringing signs of peace and goodwill to men. He followed what God told him to be and told him to do. Here's the question. Are you obeying God in the next steps in your Christian walk? First, have you been baptized? Are you a believer? Have you been baptized? Are you next Publicly identifying with Christ in all areas of your life. Would there be people that are surprised that you are a Christian? See, it's not enough just to do it up here. We've got to walk it out there. Matthew five thirteen tells us that we are the salt of the earth. How many of y'all like salt? My wife cannot. She puts salt on it, but it's never enough for me. I just, there's always more. It's just like, you don't need that much salt. I just, I got this, all right? <laughs> salt makes a difference. And it says here, though, as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Have you ever seen that before, where you're far away and in the dark somewhere, but you can see a long distance away, there's a city set up on a hill. That's a hard thing to hide. It says it cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp under a basket. How many of y'all remember that old song? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Now, how many of y'all remember that? Come on, help me. Okay, geez, y'all look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> you don't. You don't put a light under a basket. First off, you know, if it's a candle, it might light the basket on fire. It's not smart. Second off, why do you have it lit? What's the point? Why do we do that with our lives? Why do we try and water down our saltiness when we go out into the world? Why do we try and hide our light? It says no in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is heaven in heaven. There's accountability When you step out in your secular workplace, in those places where you may have people around you that are not believers, when you step out and say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, there's accountability. And I guarantee those people in your life that do not uh, put their faith and trust in God will keep you accountable when they say, hey, a Christian ought not to do that. It's crazy how uh, those that don't believe know what Christians are supposed to look like, right? They'll call you out on that. Hey, you're not supposed to say that type of stuff. Hey, you're not supposed to be gossiping, and that's why we light our light shine, because then there are high stakes, because someone's life and their faith in God might depend on the fact that we step out and say, I'm a Christian, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a difference. It says they can see our good works, and instead of glorifying us, they glorify God instead. So you can tell when a food doesn't have salt on it. You can tell when a room doesn't have light in it. Salt and light make a difference. Salt and light change things. Are you making a difference? Are you changing things around you? We've got to stop hiding our love for Christ. Let your light shine. And don't believe the lie that you've got to keep it hidden because you're not perfect. You're not perfect, but God is perfect. And as long as you're not walking around like you have it all together, as long as you're not walking around like you are high on the hog or up on some pedestal or something like that, if you humbly say, look, I don't have it together, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I'm just still trying to have a relationship with God, I'm still seeking God, you can guarantee it's going to make a difference in the world around you. Are you preparing the way for Christ to walk into the lives of the people that you come in contact with every day? Are you publicly identifying with Christ every day? Is Christ where you place your identity? Is being Christian just something that's a part of you, or is it who you are? I'm from outside of Philadelphia, and I, I that very much identify with that. I lived in Arkansas, I lived in Georgia, and I, you know, I was combative about the fact that I was a northerner, you know, and that we were on the Civil War and all that kind of stuff. I was happy to come to a state that was uh, once again on that side, uh, although I, I, I do have fun fighting with people about it. But I still have, I got a cell phone probably when I was 18 years old or something like that. If you uh, ever see me calling you, you'll probably think I am a... Uh, telemarketer, because I have a 610 area code, because it's important to me. That's who I am. That's part of me. I'm never going to change that. Uh, that's that's where I come from. But is that how we feel about Christ? This is who I am. I am a Christian. More than I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, more than I'm a, a this or a that or a, a WVU fan or all those, that, that's not who I am. Those are just things that I'm uh, excited about, everyone. No, deep down, who I am is a Christian, a follower of Christ, and not just about the church scene or, or just the, the, the poly, political aspects of being a Christian. No, I am a follower of Jesus is being a Christian is something that's a part of you? Is it just something that you do, or is it who you are? John pointed to and prepared the way for Jesus to walk into people's lives. Are you doing that for those around you? If every head's bowed and eyes closed, we're going into a time of reflection, a time of meditation where you ask God, God, what do you want me to change? How can I be different in a way that would please you? Just listening to me preach doesn't change anything. But what changes something is when we make a concerted effort to say, God, you want me to be different in this area? Okay, Preaching is only important when there's action that follows it. This isn't just a passing of intellectual knowledge. It should be a passing of heart knowledge, where I'm going to put my faith and trust in what the Bible says. We saw a lot of things today. We saw Jesus humbling himself before John and saying, no, you baptize me. I know you're imperfect. I know you're a sinner. But I've got a purpose for this. This is God's will. I'm going to obey God's will. We see God recognizing the power of Jesus, that he was the son of God, God in flesh. We see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come. John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We still need that message. Some people around you need to know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all their hurt and all their pain and all their brokenness. And one day Jesus is going to come back and set this all right. We have a choice to either accept that or to reject that. We have a choice to say, I want Jesus to pay for my sins. I want to put my faith in Jesus or I want to pay for my sins on my own. God is a gracious God, and he gives you the ability to reject him. That's your choice. John pointed the way to Jesus. If you're here and you're a believer, that's what we're supposed to do. The Bible calls us ambassadors. We're supposed to go out into the world and be an ambassador for Christ, to represent Christ, to be like Christ. When people see you, do they see Jesus, every head bowed and eyes closed, let's allow these things to soak our heart and ask God where he would have us to change.